Sooner Nation podcast. Kind of uh, sad, I guess. It's me all by myself flying solo. Um, I'm actually out of the country. As you know, if you listen to this show, I work out of the country quite a bit. And uh, this time, Rich is out of the country as well, uh, unavailable. I was going to try to get one of the Thunder guys to come on with this, but uh, last-minute cancellation means it's just me uh, talking about some Oklahoma Sooners football, basketball, so forth. Um, you got to start, though, looking at, I believe, the national championship game. Sadly, uh, college football season comes to a screeching halt. And I'm telling you, if look, the SEC, in my opinion, was overrated all season long, particularly the the conversation um, about the dominant defenses of the SEC. Um, You know, I've been saying if you listen to this podcast or you read heartland-sports.com, if you read our content there, you, you know, I've been saying pretty much all season long basically since Oklahoma faced Georgia in the Rose Bowl last year, that um, the the myth of the SEC defense is really based more on the style of offense that's played in the SEC as opposed to really how strong the defenses are. And I think that was exposed um, big time in the bowl season when you look at the matchups between the Big 12 and the SEC, all of, even in Oklahoma's loss, all of the, all of the Big 12 teams – performed above average in comparison to the defensive stats of the SEC. And then when you look at what happened out in San Francisco at the national championship game, Alabama just was not prepared for that. And, and give Clemson credit. I, as I started the episode by saying, uh, I've been saying the SEC is overrated all season long, but the reality is I really thought Alabama was going to win that game. I, I, I've been saying also all season long that, it's Alabama and then everyone else is playing for second. That's really what I thought. And and when I saw Oklahoma uh, get the bid uh, to play against Alabama in the semifinal, um, the worst case scenario it pretty much unfolded in that Orange Bowl of what I thought would happen. But the reality is all season long, I thought everyone was playing second place. And you got to give Dabo Sweeney credit, what he's doing at Clemson. And I know Oklahoma fans have mixed emotions over Brent Venables. Personally, I'm happy for his success. I, I love to see him win. Uh, if you ever had a chance to be around Brent Venables or, or hear him, uh, see him, they they don't make better guys in college football than what, what Dabble Swinney has on his staff between himself and Brent Venables. And, you know, congrats to the good guys. Not that Alabama is the bad guys, but when, when you have the, quote, reign of terror on college football that Alabama has had uh, over the last decade or so, you become the bad guys. You become the team that – you're basically – you take uh, a microcosm of the Big 12, what Oklahoma has done with four consecutive Big 12 championships. Whenever, the, whenever football season rolls around – on any given weekend in Big 12 play, there there's nine other teams cheering against Oklahoma just because they're the team that wins it all the time. And and that's basically what you get between Alabama, uh, really, and Clemson the four years in a row. But I think the majority of America was cheering for Clemson but expecting Alabama to win. And the fact that uh, Clemson, not only did they win, they win, they won handedly uh, over an Alabama defense that, that like I said, just was not – prepared for that type of offense. And it makes me wonder, um, thinking back to Oklahoma's game, with a healthy Marquise Brown able to stretch the field, what what could have been different for Oklahoma? 
you have the slow start in the first quarter for Oklahoma's offense, then this thing started clicking. I love what Charleston Rambo provided in the second half, and hey, that's what we do. We second guess coaches, you know, across the board. That's what Twitter's for. That's what Facebook's for. That's what the internet's for. That's what blogs are for. It's to second guess coaching decisions. But I mean, you really got to think what what would happen if if they didn't play Hollywood, if they just set him out, and and he put a guy like Charleston Rambo in there. Obviously, they didn't respect Charleston Rambo. That's why he broke free uh, for some long catches, including the touchdown on a fantastic throw by Kyler, Kyler Murray. Uh, I just, I just wonder, could it have been different? Because Alabama, that defense was not prepared for a spread offense at its at full strength, and Oklahoma clearly wasn't at full strength. I'm not saying the Sooners win the game. But I am questioning what would happen if Oklahoma, instead of playing defense first, if they played offense first, and they either had a healthy Marquise Brown or they put Charleston Rambo in there in that position to stretch the field. Could it have been different? We'll never know, but things to talk about. Um, football season's over with. Oklahoma has a new off, a new defensive coordinator, Alex Grinch, coming from Ohio State. Some of the things I've seen on Twitter social media platforms talking about Ohio state's defense. I've, I've seen, you know, the Purdue game come up. I've seen, uh, you know, the Michigan game come up, but here, here's what you have to understand is that Alex Grinch wasn't the defensive coordinator. He was not the play caller. It was not his scheme. He was there to do basically what he was told and to support the defensive coordinator. Now that he's at Oklahoma, I would expect Oklahoma's defense to look a lot more like Washington State's defense under Alex Grinch than they did um, than than they would look like Ohio State's defense. I, I think that I, I agree with the majority of people. Um, the two most overrated things in college football this year was SEC defense and Ohio State, and again exposed, and and that's what it was. Um, but I don't I don't hold what happened with uh, with Ohio State defensively. I don't hold that against Alex Grinch. And in fact, I was in favor of Alex Grinch the the minute uh, the season ended, even before the season ended. Truthfully, before Oklahoma ever played in the in the Orange Bowl. I had had a post at Heartland Sports saying I, Alex Grinch was my guy. And and the reason I like him is he's young. And there's something to be said about a young staff. You know, Lincoln Riley's staff uh, with the retirement of, of Tim Kish. Um, Lincoln Riley's staff is getting younger. And when you look at the the thing that kids are drawn to, they're, they're drawn to youth. They're drawn to younger people who can relate to them and better identify with them. They're drawn to people who are actively involved on social media, the people who understand the lingo, so to speak. And I understand, you know, like that, that sounds like just a bunch of, of, of garbage, but the reality is it's true. And I liked Alex Grinch because of his age. I, I liked his youth movement. Um, and I, I like the fact that Oklahoma staff is getting younger, particularly on the defensive side of the football. But the other thing I liked about him was his experience with a team that runs the spread offense and runs kind of a, that spread the field, hurry up and score and put the defense back out on the field. He's done that before. He did that at, at Washington state with Mike Leach. He did not have the opportunity to do that at Ohio state. But again, remember it was Greg Schiano's uh, program at Ohio state. He was the defensive coordinator whom Alex Grinch was working for. When you go back and, and just look up some things about this guy at Washington State, look up uh, what the Washington State coaching staff said about him. Look what they said about him when he was on staff at Missouri as as just you know an assistant there. 
what people are saying about Alex Grinch, what his track record is as the signal caller for a defense, both of those are very, very good. Oklahoma fans should be happy with him, happy with the call. And and you look at the defensive recruiting before they had a coordinator, now that they have one, it, it's, it's leading to bigger and better things for Oklahoma. Now they just got to find a linebackers coach to replace Tim Kish, and you're pretty much going to be in business. Speaking of which, I'm not really sure what happened with the whole Brian Odom situation. He's the uh, linebackers coach at the University of Missouri, has experience with Alex Grinch, but the report we we ran with the report that he had turned down uh, Oklahoma, and then later on others came back and reported that he was never offered the job at Oklahoma. I don't know whether he was or was not. What I do know is that he's no longer a candidate. Now we, we got our information from football, football scoop, which essentially is the, uh, the top rumor mill, if you will, in college football. And they're pretty reliable, uh, with their sourcing. They say Odom turned it down. Maybe it wasn't like an official offer. It was a, would you be interested type offer? And what she said, no, but one way or the other, I do believe that Odom turned down Oklahoma to stay at Missouri. And so that, that means that, um, that Grinch has got to look elsewhere Two two names to keep in mind. And we have this posted at heartland sports.com. Tim Skipper, who um, had experience at Florida at Fresno State, had kind of East Coast, West Coast connection. A younger guy, again, um, that's got some good recruiting connections. Currently, the defensive coordinator at UNLV would be a guy to keep in mind. But the guy I like is Roy Manning, who is um, right now at UCLA as the special teams coach, but has a connection with Grinch at Washington State, uh, has experience coaching outside linebackers. He coached both at Michigan and Washington State, that position, uh, before going to UCLA as special teams coach. Uh, Brian Manning is, uh, excuse me, Roy Manning is the guy that I'm, I'm stuck on right now as my guy to kind of keep an eye on. I'm not for sure. I'm not saying he's the man. I'm not for. I'm not saying that he's the guy that that they're going to hire. But uh, if I had my, if Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch called me up and asked me, "Hey, what what's up, man? What 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 do you feel about uh, about this outside linebackers position?" Manny is going to be the guy I recommend. But that call, as we all know, is never going to happen. But you know, obviously, as as we're here into the the new year and spring practice, it's on the radar now. I mean, it's, it's, it'll be here before you know it. I, I mean, the calendar is going to turn to February. It's going to turn to March. And then all of a sudden we're in April and we're having the red white game. Those are all things to watch. You know, how this defense begins to shift and change. It's going to be a fundamentally different defense, which is kind of funny to say because fundamentals have been an issue with Oklahoma's defense. But they're going to be different. They're going to be more aggressive. I think by that you're going to see more plays on the ball. Uh, you're going to see uh, something that has just tormented Oklahoma uh, fans for years is that that soft cushion that, that the defensive backs give to receivers. I think you're going to see that taken away, and you're going to see defensive backs challenge receivers to get open in space instead of just giving them the space to get open in. And then I think instead of seeing them focus on tackling, which has really been a struggle anyway, you're going to see them make a play on the ball first, uh, and they're really going to force takeaways. You're going to see linebackers uh, focus on on stripping. I mean, you're, and I I love that. I love the fact that you're going to have one linebacker make the initial contact, and then the second linebacker is going to make contact with the ball. Uh, they're going to they're going to coach these guys up to put a hat on the ball when they go in to make their tackles. Oklahoma is going to put 
all their eggs in the basket of forcing turnovers, which I believe is what you have to do in the Big 12 because you, everyone's learning. Everyone's catching on to the spread offense. And, and here's something to take note of. I'm going to just take a break from this Alex Grinch conversation, Oklahoma's new defense and spring train and spring football to say, he, here's what you got to take note of. We have been saying this all football season long is that other, other conferences are starting to catch on with the spread offense. You're seeing it in the Pac-12. You're seeing it in the Big Ten. You're seeing it in the ACC. You're seeing it in the SEC. You're basically seeing the spread attack in all five power conferences. But here's the thing, is that the Big 12 has the has the advantage because they're kind of leading the front in that. As conferences begin to change, and they're going to morph, there's going to be an evolution of offenses in college football across the board. I'm telling you, Nick Saban is not going to get destroyed at the national championship game and not change what he's doing. Right now, Nick Saban is thinking about, how can I implement more spread? How can I prepare my defense to face this spread? Um, Those are all things going on in the SEC. Every SEC team looked at that game and they thought, look, guys, if we can get our guys to do this, if we can spread our, our... our team out, we can we can play with Alabama, you know, with this format. It all goes back to 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 the early two thousands. Look at what happened in the Big Twelve. You had Oklahoma win the national championship in two thousand. You had Texas win the national championship in two thousand and five. Oklahoma contended and played for other championships during that time span. You had Kansas win the Orange Bowl in two thousand and nine, all because of the spread offense. It's going to shift from just being a Big 12 thing to being a college football thing. And the Big 12 is at the forefront of that. What I'm saying all this is to say, watch what happens in the coming years. In the next three to five years, maybe two to five years, watch what happens with the Big 12 as far as competitively. When I'm talking about it, more than just Oklahoma being in the top five, more than just Oklahoma being in the top ten. You're going to see as as these conferences go through the type of growing pains that the Big 12 are, has already gone through uh, facing these type of offenses. See, all these conferences are – are the conferences are going to have to figure out defensive schemes, which, I mean, Oklahoma's got to figure out the schemes as well. But all that goes around to say – I hope you heard that. Um, There's – it's – holiday season in Panama and um, I did not just get shot it's fireworks but anyway all the all the conferences are are going through they're going to go through this this growing pain if you will that the big 12 has already experienced watch the big 12 and in the, in the next two to five years watch the big 12 begin to make some leaps where people are, are saying oh, the big 12 is not a great conference they don't play great football they don't play any defense all that talk's going to go away because you're going to see offensive numbers increase across the board in college football, but you're also going to see the Big 12, who is ahead of the curve, kind of take a leadership role, I believe, in the next two to five years, assuming the conference can last that much longer. Um, so going back to spring ball, uh, spring football, the, the story to watch is is the transition of this defense. Guys like Brendan Riley Hiles. Um, you know, some of these younger guys, some of these defensive backs that really need to begin to make a transition from the old old guard to the new guard, if you will. That's what you're going to want to watch in spring football. And obviously, you got to have a linebackers coach to replace Tim Kish long before that. I would expect by the time we record our next podcast, if it's a week from today, it may be sooner. But by the time we record our next podcast, you're probably going to uh, – 
have an idea of who the next outside linebackers coach is going to be for the University of Oklahoma. But the next thing that you're going to want to watch outside of that is is the movement along the offensive line. Bobby Evans declares himself eligible for the NFL draft, which basically means he's gone and Oklahoma has one guy. You got Creed Humphrey there in the middle, redshirt freshman this year, redshirt sophomore. Listen, Creed Humphrey, uh, if you've listened to us before, you know this, Creed Humphrey could get drafted this year. If he if it was possible for a redshirt sophomore to enter the NFL draft, he's that good. I'm not saying he'll be a top round pick, but I'm saying he would get picked probably around uh, around five in around five in the, in the NFL draft, four or five or six. I would put my money on five. He's that good. He he's good enough that next year as a redshirt sophomore, Oklahoma fans need to be wondering if this is the last year we see this guy play football at OU. That's how good he is, but he also understands the game development. He understands the transition that his body needs to go through in the collegiate game. He could come out next year, but he's the only guy coming back at this point and he'll be the anchor of Oklahoma's offensive line and as well he'll be the the um I started to say the Orlando Brown type guy. Um, he'll be that vocal leader, that Cody Ford that we saw this last season. Orlando Brown the season before. He's going to be that guy who really anchors this line as far as getting them lined up schematically, but also leads this line vocally and physically. I really thought Bobby Evans would be back, truthfully. In fact, I said it in our last podcast that I the what I had been hearing was that Bobby Evans was leaning towards returning. And I feel like when you – I think Todd Mache had him like the seventh rated uh, tackle in in this this year's draft. Um, You know, and and I think when you look at those numbers, it just becomes a situation of of not how much money do you want, but when do you want money. Uh, He's going to get drafted and he's going to make a roster, but he could have made, in my opinion, a lot more money coming back and bettering his game one more season. That said, he's gone, and so now you start thinking about, well, who's going to line up next to Creed Humphrey? Who's going to be the two guys to his left, and who's going to be the two guys to his right? And the reality is no one knows. I I, I would think if you could put a truth serum in Bill Biedenboe and say, hey, yeah, Coach, uh, Coach, who's going to be your five starters next year? He's going to list Creed Humphrey, and then he's probably going to give you about seven other names, eight other names, just because at this point, no one knows. That's that's why this is going to be an important battle to watch in the spring. I, I, there's two names. Really, there's three names, but there's, there's two that I have been high on. Um, we have a post at Heartland Sports, heartland-sports.com, that you can look at the offensive line and, and look at it. Really, I, I, I give four names in that post, but the two I really want to focus on are Finley Felix. Uh, he was a three-star JUCO transfer coming in. Uh, I think he can be an immediate starter at one of the two tackle positions. 6'5", I talked about him last week on the podcast. Um, this is a kid that if his mind is right, his attitude is there over the offseason. I mean, he's he's already enrolled at Oklahoma. He'll start classes. Uh, he'll be there for spring football. He, if he's approaching this as I'm coming in, with the opportunity to get a starting job immediately on one of what has been one of the best offensive lines, if not the best offensive line in the nation the last two years. I can't imagine his attitude and his mind not being right and his work ethic being there. Kid out of uh, Coffeyville, Kansas. I think he's a name you want. You're going to want to know. He plays with some some nastiness, and that's what uh, we've seen that Bill Biedenboe likes from his offensive linemen. The other guy, redshirt freshman this year, Bray Walker, 
local product out of Southmore High School. He was a five-star recruit by 24-7 Sports coming out of high school. Um, I, I think 2019, he has the opportunity to, to again, get that other tackle position. I don't know who your guards are going to be at this point. Marquise Hayes, Logan Robertson are just a couple names to, to throw out there. But I, I, would be, I would be willing to, if there was a betting line on Oklahoma starting offensive uh, tackles, Finley Felix and, and Bray Walker are two guys that I would I think I would place as the as the odds on favorites for getting that position. Outside of that, you know, there's really it's been fairly quiet on the college football front, particularly for Oklahoma. Um, I am a little bit uh, intrigued. I don't know if surprise is the right word, but maybe intrigued that. Um, that there's been no announcement from Kyler Murray just yet. I don't think he's coming back to Oklahoma. If you've heard me talk about it, you know how I feel. I'd love for him to be, to be back, but I don't think he's back. But I will say this, saying that I don't believe he's going to be back at OU next season, um, I do believe the odds are greater than 0%. You know, I think right around Orange Bowl time, it was a 0% chance that Kyler Murray would be wearing crimson and cream uh, next season. I think it has grown to a little bit larger than 0%, but the reality is I think you're going to see this kid uh, playing on the professional level next year, be it football or baseball. Oakland Athletics uh, released a statement that they believe Kyler Murray is going to declare himself eligible for the NFL draft. That's a move that would not surprise me at all. And really, you know, test the waters. See, you're, there's no commitment there. Um, you get drafted. You don't have to go, but test the waters. I mean, see where you would go. Some GMs have said that if Murray would commit himself to football, he would be a top pick. Not maybe, maybe not number one overall like Baker Mayfield was last year, but top five, top ten. That people are going to throw money at him. They they want to know if is this kid. You look at the success that Baker Mayfield had. It's more than just a system at Oklahoma. The Sooners have been blessed the last two seasons, and I hope fans don't take this for granted, but the Sooners have been blessed the last two seasons to have two of the best quarterbacks, the two best quarterbacks in the nation, play for them. Um, Again, you just got to take this little dig in there, though. It just makes it that much more frustrating that they've wasted the talent that they've wasted the last two years with terrible defenses. But that said, I think each day that goes by without Kyler making an official announcement is a day that leads him away from baseball and closer to football. But I think the football it's leading him closer to is the NFL and not back at Oklahoma. You know, we've talked about that. You know what? Here's the thing is that Jalen Hurts transferring out of, out of Alabama, he's in the transfer portal now. I, I am a believer that where there's smoke, there's fire. And there's a lot more smoke with Jalen Hurts than there was with Justin Fields. Um, that you know, Fields transferred out of Georgia, ultimately ended up at Ohio State. Uh, yet Spencer Rattler saying that Lincoln Riley told him there's no transfer coming in. That was before Jalen Hurts made himself available through the transfer porter, portal. I'm not changing my opinion though. I, I don't feel like Jalen Hurts is the kind of guy that you risk losing a Spencer Rattler over or that you risk losing uh, one of your other quarterbacks over. I just, I don't think he is. I, I think with all due respect, I, I, I think if Jalen Hurts could run the spread offense, 
then he would be running the spread offense instead of to attack Levi. But he can't run it to that extent. Does that mean he's better than Austin Kendall? Maybe. But does that mean he has more potential than Spencer Rattler? No, I, I don't think it means that at all. What I think it means is that Oklahoma has their quarterbacks and they're set on them. But again, where there's smoke, there's fire. And I would be willing to to go out on a limb and say there's been some sort of discussion uh, between both camps or one camp towards the other about Hurts coming to Norman I just don't think it makes sense to me. And uh, again, I, I don't think you risk a transfer of a guy like Austin Kendall to get a guy like Jalen Hurts. I just, I don't think it works. I think he was a project guy that would come in and have to learn how to run this offense. He doesn't have this, the skill set of a Kyler Murray in passing or in running. He doesn't have the skill set of a Baker Mayfield in passing. That means he would have to be a better all around passer than any quarterback Oklahoma currently has on the roster or Spencer Rattler coming in the summer for him to come to Oklahoma and to make it work. I don't believe that's the case. I, I just, I don't see that happening, but that said, I've been wrong before and, um, Hey, sometimes you make mistakes, but I'm telling you Jalen hurts in my opinion, bad fit for the university of Oklahoma. You listen to the Sooner Nation, the online podcast of Heartland Sports, heartland-sports.com. Matt Hofeld with you, riding solo today, uh, missing my partners in crime. Um, the Thunder guys, guys, give them a shout out because they ditched me. And here's the reason why. I know what happened. The Thunder are getting ready to play. Um, as I'm recording this podcast on a Thursday night, uh, the Thunder are getting ready. They're about at 45 minutes away from tip-off. Um, that's why I'm flying solo uh, Rich out uh, on vacation with his family, so he's not available. Uh, so you're stuck with me. Sorry about that. But let's let's move on. Let's talk about some Oklahoma basketball. Um, tough tough start to conference play for Oklahoma. I mean, you you can't draw a tougher start in my opinion than two of your of your first three games being on the road at top ten programs, and both of those games resulted in being losses for Oklahoma. But they were respectable losses. I'm not a guy who jumps into moral victories. I'm not a guy who's going to say, yeah, you know, but we did, we lost, but we did this. I, that, I'm just, I'm not that guy. Oklahoma had opportunity to, to play and win at Kansas. They had greater opportunity to play and win in Lubbock, Texas against Texas Tech, and they didn't. But in that, not excusing the losses, tough losses, but I think we've learned about the team. You, you learn... Um, about about a, a program, you learn about the status of a team through the way they win and through the way they lose. You know, look at Oklahoma last year. Uh, this was a top five program, really, as conference play was getting ready to come around, and then they just fell on their faces in conference play. What you're seeing in the losses at Lubbock and at Lawrence is you're seeing a team that competes against the top ten programs, and and they compete to the wire. I mean, they took Kansas to the wire. They took Texas Tech to the wire. This is a team that everybody says is going to be a tough out in the Big 12. But at this point, three games into the conference play, maybe they're going to be a tough out, but they're going to be an out. I mean, I don't, I, I don't want to sound callous. I don't want to sound jaded. But I'm saying, yeah, you can play those teams on the road. But ultimately, when you lose, you lose. That's what an out is. It's it's a loss. Uh, when you lose, you're out, and and that's that's proven true um, with these first 
two road games, they're a tough out, but they are an out. And I think that's what everybody is looking at. The The one win on the conference season is Bedlam at home on Saturday. Uh, they were able to best Oklahoma State in what was just really an ugly game. And I, I think you're going to see that kind of be the norm for Oklahoma. They're going to try to ugly some things up with the way they play defense, especially on nights when they're, when they're shooting poorly like they did at Texas Tech. But you got to give Texas Tech credit because they're one of the better defensive teams in the nation. And absolutely at this point, the best defensive team in the conference, but here's what Oklahoma has got to do. I mean, there, there's really two things that they've got to do. You, you've got to protect home court and, and at some point, Oklahoma's got to get a win over a top 25 program. They're 0 for 3 this season against the top 25. They, they lost uh, out in the Bahamas earlier in the season. Uh, they, they've lost at Kansas. They've lost at Texas Tech. They've got to get a win over a top 25 team. And that opportunity may come at them this Saturday uh, with TCU coming to town. 20, they're ranked 25th coming to Norman this gives them the opportunity to do both things at once. They they've got to protect home court. I mean, if, if you want to have a chance to have a to make a run at the Big 12 tournament, you've got to be a top, you know, a top five seed. I believe a top four seed, truthfully, but I think top five helps you out. Also, when you're looking at uh, jumping into um, jumping into the NCAA tournament and seeding there. Oklahoma has to defend the home court. I don't believe it is outside of the realm of possibility for this program to go undefeated at home this season. I, I think that can happen. I, I think that's a very real possibility. We've talked about this before on the, on the podcast is that there's no one true leader of this team. Any any given night, it could be Brady Manick, it could be Christian James, it could be Kristen Doolittle. I mean, you you've got options across the board with this team. Uh, you know, throw Miles Reynolds in there as another one. Uh, you know, if they can get Jemani McNeese healthy, another option. But the reality is, the cohesiveness of this team is what makes them so hard to beat. And then you put a home court advantage behind them. Uh, I just I feel like this is a year where Oklahoma could run the table in Norman. Not saying that they will, but I'm I'm saying that they could. And if they do, if they run the table in Norman, then then you're looking at the opportunity to be a top four seed in the Big 12 tournament. And because you're going to have to pick up some road wins along the way as well. Um, Iowa State's good, but they're not the Iowa State that we've seen in the past. I I think Kansas State is vulnerable. I think Texas absolutely is vulnerable. There are opportunities. West Virginia, this this may be the worst uh, team West Virginia's had since they joined the Big 12. There are going to be opportunities to pick up those wins on the road, but you gotta you gotta hold serve. I mean, you gotta hold, you gotta protect the home court. And you got to win over a top 25 program because when it comes to that time, when you look at the RPI, you look at seeding, they're going to say that. Look at Oklahoma. Look at this non-conference schedule. All the way, all the games they played away from Norman. But who do they beat? Where are the ranked teams that they've beat? Right now, three losses on the season. All three of those losses are to ranked teams, and they have zero wins against ranked opponents. They've got to get that figured out. Um, and I think they will. I, I think Long Kruger is probably doing uh, one of his better coaching jobs. I, I think the year that they went to the Final Four with Buddy Heald, uh, probably the best coaching job that he's done at the University of Oklahoma. 
but this year is going to push that, I believe. And I think that the story is still being written on this season and how good Long Kruger is going to do as far as coaching jobs, ranking them uh, in his tenure here at the University of Oklahoma. And last but not least on our agenda, you know, time goes by faster when you're by yourself. Um, by the way, I, I encourage you at some point to try to uh, try to just sit and talk for 30 plus minutes on your own uh, and hold a conversation. Not at all easy. Um, and it probably sounds that way on the podcast, but hopefully we'll have Rich back with us uh, or the Thunder guys next week. But last thing I want to talk to you about um, is just bring this up. We're we're a month away from spring sports starting. Uh, softball will uh, have started a, a month from yesterday uh, on the 8th of uh, February is when they start. I'm, I guess I'm recording this on the 10th, so you'll probably hear it on the 11th or the 12th, but less than a month until softball starts. Big 12 uh, preseason poll comes out by the coaches. Oklahoma for the seventh uh, consecutive season is ranked number one in the Big 12 for the third consecutive season. Uh, they received the first place vote by every coach not named Patty Gasso. So that's that's important for Oklahoma fans to know. Um, seven votes in. Baylor got one vote, which would have been Patty Gasso's vote because you can't vote for your own school. Uh, and then Oklahoma getting six of those. Sooners coming off the uh, first time ever undefeated through conference play. Um, 18-0 last year in conference play. It's going to be a little bit more difficult this year. If you listen to our uh, podcast with Chris Plank, he pointed out the fact that due to the switch uh, with Iowa State last year, uh, bad weather brought that series to Norman as opposed to hosting it in Ames. Due to that, Oklahoma only has one conference series in Norman this season. So their their conference series, they're going to play one in Norman and they're going to play um, the rest of them on the road. Uh, so that's going to make it a little bit uh, more difficult for Oklahoma, but no way that they can't be uh, the big 12 favorites. When you look at undefeated uh, making it to the world series, uh, they ended the season last year with the nation's best record uh, going into the postseason. So um, it, it, look, I, I'm just going to throw this out there because I got about 30 seconds to waste. I was a doubter uh, in college softball before I started covering it. If you've never been to a college softball game, you need to go to Norman. You need to watch this team play uh, because not only are these ladies talented, but it's a fun sport. And if you get a chance to see them play in a big time atmosphere like um, the hosting a regional or a super regional or making it to Oklahoma City for the Women's College World Series, you talk about fanatics. You, you think Oklahoma football fans and football fans across the board get kind of crazy. Wait until you see how college softball fans act on those big-time performances and those big-time tournaments. It's a lot of fun. You need to definitely check it out. Thanks for hanging out with us for uh, for 35 minutes or so. Uh, you can check us out, Heartland Sports, heartland-sports.com. It's where you can find our content, our information. Also, you can follow us on Twitter, at Sports Heartland. Hit us up in the comments section. Let us know if you agree or disagree with the comments and the points of view on the podcast or anything else for that matter. If you got suggestions for the next podcast, we'd love to hear it. If you got questions, we'd love to answer them. Thanks so much for tuning in. Have a fantastic weekend as it approaches Boomer Center, everybody. <laughs>